So our scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 5, verses 17 to 26. So if you were here last week, you know that we we only got halfway through the sermon last week because of communion Sunday and and time constraints. So so this week is just the second half of that uh, message, which just means that I I spent the week finding all kinds of ways to make it longer and longer and longer. So uh, we'll see how we do, though. I almost just returned to the same Aladdin movie introduction just to see if anyone was paying attention last week. But, in case a couple of you were, in 1991, the movie City Slickers hit the big screen, and uh, in that movie, Curly, the very hardened cowboy, tells Mitch uh, the secret to life. Anyone remember that? Anyone remember the secret to life that Curly tells Mitch? That's right. Puts up that leather glove. He says, and Mitch, of course, says, your finger? And he says, no, one thing, one thing. And Mitch is like, great, what is that? And this is where Curly kind of strays slightly away from Christianity, you might say. He says, well, that's for everyone to figure out. You got to figure out what your one thing is. And that will help you with the secret to life. It's uh, interesting. I would say that to a certain point, Jesus agrees with Curly, but only to a certain point. So let's stand for the reading of God's Word. On one of those days, as he, was watch- as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, They went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you, or to say rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. The grass withers, the flowers fade, and yet the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated.
So our outline's pretty simple, just three kind of questions. What you can't see, what do you really want, and in hindsight, I probably should have just said, what did he mean? What, What you can't see, what do you want, and what did he mean, or which would be easier? So first... As we look at this passage, we can't help but uh, notice there's a lot of seeing and yet not seeing throughout all of this passage. Did you see that? So there's friends, the friends of the paralyzed man. Like they see that he has a need, but they don't necessarily see uh, his deepest need. Uh, The friends, in fact, see that Jesus can help. Uh, But then, ironically, when they get there, they can't see Jesus. The scribes, uh, the Pharisees, the teachers of the day, uh, they can see Jesus, physically anyway, and they can see the implications of what Jesus says, but they don't actually see Jesus. Then there's even... It appears, at least at the beginning, it appears that Jesus sees the man but doesn't really see his actual needs. I mean, is this a point where Jesus is one of those guys that's so heavenly-minded, he's of no earthly good? What is this about forgiving his sins? And I think it's important, at least at this level, just to sometimes ask ourselves, what is it that I don't see? What is it that I can't see when it comes to uh, following Jesus or even approaching Jesus? Um, It's important for us to to be willing to think through those things. And I know that's a hard, it's a hard question to answer. What can't I see? Because it's sort of answering a negative. Uh, Sometimes uh, it has to be answered in the positive first. Well, what do I see? What do I, why did I come here? to church today. Why am I why am I at worship at nine in the morning on a day that it feels more like eight in the morning? Why did I come here? Is it for kudos? Is it to make sure that uh, others around you see that you're a good Christian? Uh, what is it that we come to church for? Uh, and uh, and again, this is going to be touched on in a couple of weeks when we do the, the parenting in the pew. Uh, because, uh, you know, spoiler alert, uh, if you're here for anything other than worshiping God, you don't see why you're here. Like you're here to get something rather than to simply give your heart to God. Now, when we come and give ourselves to God, He's a very generous God and He does bless us, but it, it's different. It's a different attitude of, I'm here to worship God than I'm here to get something from God. I need my tank refilled. I need, uh, you know, I need a couple of pointers. Uh, I need, uh, you know, I just need a, I need a decent TED talk on how to live. Um, and I wonder if sometimes that's our attitude toward worship anymore. We get to sing some songs, some we know, some we don't, uh, and then we have a nice TED talk. And then we go home. And it's a good question to ask. Why are we here? And that will help us see what it is we're not seeing or what it is we're not really looking for. Because when you can't see, 
you really don't know what you need. All you can ever answer is what you want. As I mentioned last time, like nobody actually tells a genie what they need. You tell a genie what you want, uh, and then it goes from there. But even as we look at this question of what they want, what we want, it's easy, we can, we can analyze even through uh, these men and this paralyzed man. And what did they want? What were they after? Can you imagine the roller coaster of emotions that this man must have been on that day? Uh, put yourself, let's put yourself in, in this man's shoes. Or maybe more appropriately, put yourself on this man's mat. Uh, your friends show up at your house in the morning. They come every morning. This is what kind of friends these guys are. Because you're paralyzed. And in, in, in a farming and fishing, heavy labor community, people who are paralyzed, people who are blind, who are deaf, People with any kind of ailment, any kind of difficulty, any kind of struggle are nothing but a drain on the community. The only possibility of providing for your family is by begging. And if you're blind, you can find your way to one of the three gates. If you're deaf, you can easily get to one of the three gates that surround the city. If you're paralyzed, you are 100% dependent on the kindness of your friends who will every morning show up at your house, put you on a mat, and carry you to one of these gates, and hopefully you'll get a good position because the gates would be surrounded by other beggars. Widows, blind, deaf, diseased, hurting. And if you're too early, like if you're one of the front runners, like that person isn't going to get much because like that's when the the people walking in realize and start reaching for their purse, but they've walked past them. And if you're too late in the group, well, those people aren't going to get anything because by the time you get there, you're like, oh, how many, how many people do I have to help today? I feel like I have done I've done enough. And so you have, like, positioning is everything. And so his friends would take him. So this morning would have felt like any other morning because he has faithful friends. But this morning, they don't stop at the gate. They keep walking, which seems odd. And then they come to this house, and there's this huge crowd at the house. And some scholars uh, wonder if this wasn't Simon Peter's house. And so if it was, then by the smells and the decorations, you would notice, oh, this is a fisherman's house. So maybe there's a sale on fish. And maybe you'd think, oh, well, maybe my friends realize, like, this is, like, this is the hot spot today. Like, none of the other beggars are here, so maybe, maybe this is going to be, like, the sweet spot, and they've figured that out. But, but when they get there, your friends don't seem very happy to finally be able to put you down. They seem even more frustrated. They're like straining and peeking and trying to look over and through the crowd. One of them 
One of them leaves and runs inside. Maybe, maybe you need a number for the fish sandwiches that are being sold. I don't know. what These guys really want fish today, apparently. And he comes back, and he seems frustrated, but then he starts whispering to your other friends. And first they look at him like he's crazy, and then they look off, and it looks like they're just kind of looking up into the sky. And then they turn, and all of your friends are smiling at you. And if you could walk, you would back away. Because you recognize that look from when you were young. And you know that mischief is about to happen. And so they they pick you up again. But they don't go toward the crowd. This time they look like they're trying to avoid the crowd. Now it looks like they don't even want the crowd to see them. And now they're going around the back of the house to the stairs that are heading up to the roof, to the flat roof where on hot days you would go up there to get out of the baked heat of the house and, and just sit in the, in the breeze that would blow over the house. And that's only when they start carrying you up those stairs that they explain to you what's going on. You see, there's a man there's a man, and he's, he's, a, he's a teacher, but, but, he, but he, that doesn't even do justice. Like, I mean, he talks. Like, he speaks with such authority. I've never heard anyone who understood uh, the Torah like this guy understands it. And it's not just that he teaches, but he, he, he heals I mean, with a word, demons leave. With a touch, even of lepers, a touch, a leper is cleansed. And we just, we just thought maybe, I don't know, maybe if, if we could just get you to him. Was he on the roof? No, no, he's not on the roof. He's inside. Well, what are we go? What are you about to do? What what are you doing to this man's house? And then pretty soon you're being lowered through a hole that they have created in another man's house's roof, and you can, you're paralyzed. All you get to do is watch first, like the debris and dust on the people's heads, and the. Uh, the people staring up, like not even noticing you, just total irritation with these four guys on the roof. If this is Simon Peter's house, there's a woman and her mother staring at that hole in their roof with a little bit more than uh, disturbance. Pretty soon you are lying on your mat, on the ground, right at the feet of this teacher. And he looks at your friends, but when he looks at your friends, there's no anger, there's no disgust. Like he seems genuinely impressed with their ingenuity. And he looks down at you, and he has such compassion such tenderness. Like he looks at you and it feels like he knows what you are going through. Like it's as if he 
feels the weight of what you are facing. And for the first time in years, you, you have hope. And it, maybe it's not even hope for anything different, but like you are filled with just this peace. And then he, he says to you the words that you've been longing to hear. Man, your sins are forgiven. And this is where the record scratch comes in. It's like, the, what? My, my what? My sins are forgiven. That's not why I'm here. Is it? My sins are forgiven. That's, that's not what I asked for. Is it? That's not what I needed. Is it? What do you need? What do you desire? What completes this sentence for you? My life, my, my record has to include blank. If I don't have blank, I don't know who I am. If I don't have blank, I don't know what value I am. See, this is where Jesus would be nodding along with Curly when he says the secret to life is one thing. Jesus would say, yes, you're right, Curly. But that one thing isn't a thousand things to a thousand people. It's one thing. It is being accepted by God. The secret to life is being accepted by God, is knowing that God looks at you and accepts you. And you can't know that without Jesus because you are a sinner. You don't need a change in your situation. You don't even need a miraculous change in your situation. You need to be right with God. You need to be accepted and acceptable to God, and this cannot happen because your sin keeps you from God. Your sin keeps you from being acceptable to God. Sin is more than just what you do. It's more than just lying or hating or lusting. Sin is more than even what you don't do. Not speaking up, not saying the kind word, not doing the thing that you were supposed to do, that you said you'd do, not keeping your word. Sin at its heart is your attempt to live without God in any way. Now, it is easy to look at people who live without God in the Frank Sinatra way. 
Like, it's easy to, to see the people who are trying to live without God because, you know, yeah, regrets I've had a few, but come on. In the end, uh, when life grew hard, I did it my way. Like, we see, we can recognize that's how you live without God. You make your own rules. You, you, God has nothing to do. He can't tell you what to do. He can't tell you what the law is. He can't tell you the rules. You live your life without God. But some people, rather than ignoring the rules, some people try to live their life without God actually by keeping the rules, by following the rules, by saying, I don't need a Savior, I'm fine. I do it right the first time. Do it right the first time, you don't have to do it again. Keep the rules, follow the rules, keep your nose clean. I mean, this isn't a statement that like, oh, this is like all middle children, but middle children like learn this early. Like they learn, oh, do that, get in trouble. I'm going to not do that. Now, they'll do plenty of other things quietly so that the older continues to get in trouble. And then the younger says, rules? What rules? Anyway, uh, but this wasn't about the younger. So then uh, you live your life keeping the rules so that you don't need God. You don't need to be forgiven. You don't need to be saved because you're just fine the way you are. In both of these camps, whether you're avoiding God by ignoring the rules or, or avoiding God by following all the rules, in both of these camps, when, the situ- when, when life gets hard, when something goes wrong, you immediately assume what needs to change is your situation. What needs to change is I need this situation to change. That's what's going to fix this. Things are bad because of the circumstances. And Jesus sees beyond the need of the moment, beyond the man's desires. And it's not, an, it's not a, I mean, we don't want to over-spiritualize what happens here. I mean, he, the man is paralyzed. He is destitute. He needs to be healed. But it's not his greatest need. His greatest need is to hear the words, My son, your sins are forgiven. Because if you don't, if you're not right with God, your situation just doesn't matter. Like if you are not forgiven your sins, the situation will never matter. The, uh, the Irish monks used to have a, a thing that they called the white martyrdom. So there were three kinds of martyrdom uh, in, in Ireland in the you know, three and four hundreds. Uh, so there was the red martyrdom, which is kind of obvious. It's blood, and so it's the true martyrdom. But then there was the green martyrdom. You would join a monastery there in Ireland, and, you know, it's beautiful green, but you would, you know, you'd forsake your life, and so it's sort of a martyrdom. But then there was this one called the white martyrdom, and that was um, uh, monks who embraced the call of mission work, monks who would leave uh, the only God-blessed land in the world uh, and sail off into the white skyline. And so it was called the white martyrdom because they would go off uh, to bring the gospel to others. But they also had this saying that, um, you know, you don't, you don't 
sail off into the white martyrdom to find God. If you can't find God here, you won't find Him there. If you can't find God without leaving, the only thing you're changing when you leave is your sky. It's not your situation that needs to change. It's your heart that needs to change. And Jesus speaks these words that, again, that cause everyone such consternation. Your sins are forgiven. See, the teachers knew exactly what was being said. They're right to ask the question, who can forgive sins but God alone? See, I can't forgive you for something you did to someone else. Like, I can't forgive you for something you didn't do to me. Forgiveness is about, this is what you've done to me, and I forgive you. You know, if, um, I mean, if Brett punches Bruce on the way out of church today, I'm always picking on the kids. Let's make the fight a little bigger, a little more interesting. So Brett, he shouldn't be punching anyone. He's bigger than everyone in the church. So, but he decides to pick on Bruce. So he just hauls off and clobbers Bruce. Like, I can't rush over there and say, oh, Brett, it's okay, I forgive you. Sorry, Bruce, you're bleeding on my shoes. No, that's not for me to forgive. He didn't punch me. It's not up to me to forgive him. I might be able to try to intercede, try to bring the two together, but I can't forgive Brett for a sin he committed against Bruce. When Jesus says, your sins are forgiven... He is telling this man, everything you've ever done was a sin against me, and I have the power and authority and grace to tell you, I forgive you. And that rocks the teacher's world. Because... Basically, what Jesus says, even in his words, he says, the Son of Man is the Son of God. Jesus says, I know the deepest need of your heart and I can meet it. Now, this whole which would be easier, we get so confused by this because we come at it from such a Christian-y direction that we assume that it's just weird that he's saying it this way. Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? And we've read so many uh, accounts of Jesus' miracles that we just think, oh, well, get up and walk. That's the easier thing. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's using sort of a logic point. He's saying, which is easier? Like, which is easier for you to tell if it worked? Like, if I say to you, your sins are forgiven, who's going to prove me wrong? Who's going to say, "Mm, no, they're not. Look, I see that one that's not forgiven. But if I say to you, paralyzed for years, hey, get up and walk, and you just lay there, well, that's pretty easy to see that I had no power to do any of that. It's actually harder in the moment to say, go ahead and get up and walk. And so he says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins, what looks to you like a lesser thing, 
I'll do the harder thing for you. Son, get up, pick up your bed, and go home. But the thing is, beyond the surface, which is actually harder? Or maybe to ask a different way, which is more costly to Jesus? To heal the man's legs or to heal the man's soul? To heal the man's legs, the man gets up and walks and heads home. And it costs Jesus nothing. And it gains him everything because his popularity will grow and the word will spread and his fame will increase. But to forgive your sin, Jesus has to become nothing. Less than nothing. Jesus has to endure and embrace misunderstanding and ridicule and betrayal and denial and abandonment, and death, and above all of that, the Father in heaven will turn his gaze away from him, and he will die bearing the wrath of the Father for your sin. A much harder thing to do than simply change your circumstance. Because For Jesus to honestly say your sins are forgiven, he has to die on the cross for you. Do you believe that your deepest need in the world is to have your sins forgiven? Or do you think, as the singer says, that a change will do you good? You just need a a change in your circumstances and a change in your situation, that's what's going to deliver you. It's our heart. It's our our sin. That's what needs to be changed. And Jesus alone has the cure. The leper of last week understood this. You can make me clean if you will. Would Would you pray that with the leper? Jesus You can make me clean, if you will. And I do want to make sure that we not leave the four friends on the roof. I mean, just the the faith of the friends. Isn't it amazing that Jesus, when he saw their faith... He saw their faith and said to the man, your sins are forgiven. Do you have enough faith to bring your friends to the only place that they'll find forgiveness? Let's love. Let's love that well. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so amazed and grateful at the forgiveness of our sins that you worked for us. Would you move us in gratitude to be faithful friends? Would you show us that you are with us
you are for us. Our circumstances don't need to be changed because we have been accepted by God because of you. May we praise you and be amazed. In Jesus' name, amen.